This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you get stopped by the police, I think their words were turn your dome lights on so the cop can see in the car. At least he, you know, he won't be afraid because he can't see. Be respectful. Do what they say, no matter how demeaning it is, no matter how bad they treat you, no matter what names they call you, eat it and just take it. Your job is to just make sure you come home. And then our job will be to, you know, deal with anything that happened that wasn't supposed to happen. But your goal is to make it home safely. And so it was basically eat the shit that we know you're going to get from police officers, just come home. That was Congressman Cedric Richmond, a Louisiana Democrat and former chairman of the Congressional Black Caucus, recalling what his parents told him at a young age about what to do when he encountered the police. I'm joined today by my CQ Roll Call colleague, Clyde McGrady, who talked with Richmond and two other members of Congress, Republican Will Hurd of Texas and Democrat Andre Carson of Indiana, about their similar experiences and some of their own interactions with police as black men both when they were younger and even as congressmen. Clyde, welcome to Political Theater. Uh, thanks for having me, man. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, let's, let's start with Richmond. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he he uh, got uh, let us off at the top of the hour, though. But he also, like in your interview, which we're going to play a clip of in a second here, uh, he, he talks about... Um, you know, being being home, uh, being a younger man, and and being and kind of getting a talk from from a black police officer. Uh, let's uh, let's let's listen to that clip, and then we'll we'll uh, talk about it a little bit. One of the incidents I remember most clearly was being stopped by African American. I was on St. Charles Avenue in a predominantly white neighborhood, uh, very upscale. I mean, it is the Ave in New Orleans. I forgot why he pulled me over, but it was an African-American cop. I was polite. And he asked me for my license, and I couldn't find it. It was my freshman year in college. I was home for break driving my mother's car. And then, you know, he went back, ran my name and all of that, and then he came back to the car and said, look, I see the Morehouse sticker on the back of your car. Do you go to Morehouse? I said, I do. He said, well, Dr. King once said that the man can't ride the back if your back's not bent. And he said, you do realize right now that I could ride your back if I wanted to because you don't have your license. But I'd rather make this a teachable moment. He told me to go home and said if I was coming back out or going anywhere else, I needed to have make sure I had my license on me. And so that was something I never forgot. You know, Cedric Richmond has has been in the news a little bit uh, mm-hmm. lately. He was there was a uh, markup of a, a police reform bill in the Judiciary Committee uh, a, a little ways back, and he got into it with with Matt Gates, a Republican congressman from Florida, uh, about you know like the 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 kind of this fear that he has for his own son. It is not about the color of your kids. It is about black males, black people in the streets. That are getting killed. And if one of them happens to be your kid, I'm concerned about him too. 
And clearly I'm more concerned about him than you are. So let's be clear you're, about you're that. Claiming, so you're claiming you're I more am, concerned for my family than I do? Who in the hell do you think you are? The gentleman, if the, the shoe fits. Listen, you don't know how much we care about will families. Kick dog outrageous. holler. You should take those words down. The I know gentleman you care will about your family and love your family. The gentleman we, will suspend. It. The gentleman will suspend. The time belongs to the gentleman from Louisiana. Cedric, would you yield? Was, was that a nerve? Yeah, uh, you damn I right. I yield to the gentleman from Louisiana. And it, it, you can almost hear it in that clip, you know, that, that he, I mean, like, this is not, this is something that he obviously remembers very vividly. He has a six-year-old son that he has yet to, to give the talk to, but he did quote this meme, you know, that's floating out there. Um, that says, you know, it's a picture of a young black boy and it says, when did I go from cute to being a threat? And it does speak to this fear that a lot of, a lot of parents have. Um, and you know, he considered some, he considers himself fortunate in that interaction that he had with, um, with a black police officer in New Orleans when he was, um, when he was younger because he didn't have his license. Um, and this cop kind of cut him a break by letting him know, you know, if I wanted to, um, I would have cause to, to, um, you know, be a little bit rougher with you, I guess, or, or a little bit tougher with you, but he really gave him some, you know, tough love, trying to scare him a little bit because it also speaks to this, this notion that a lot of black parents instill in their kid that you have to be better, right? You have to be twice as good, twice, mar- as, good, yeah. twice as good. Your margins are just slimmer. Uh, your margins for error are just slimmer. You can't do the same things that, your, your white friends do, you know, it's your, your errors will not, will not be written off as a youthful indiscretion as, you know, or boys will be boys the way they are with some kids. And what's, what's also just remarkable about that interaction is that, you know, Richmond's from the New Orleans area. Mm-hmm. Uh, New Orleans has a, um, a, a somewhat rough, you know, racial past. They just took down, they took down Confederate statues a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were a little bit ahead of the curve in, in getting rid of Jeff, Jeff Davis and, uh, and Robert E. Lee statues. Uh, but there, you know, the police department has this incredibly checkered history, particularly when it comes to race uh, in, in New Orleans. And here's a black cop almost assuming this privilege of saying, I could have, I could take you in, or I could, I could do this just because I'm a cop. And, and it's, and, you know, it's great that he, he had the, you know, he, he assumed that like, I'm going to, I'm going to help you out. But it's also just this weird thing of like, is the, it, it speaks to some of the tension, I think that like, I mean, it's, it's not like, you know, New Orleans had this like pristine, you know, police department. They were right. even under federal uh, review for years, you know, in different times. And, and to, it just, it was just remarkable. I mean, and, and it, it's obviously still painful for Richmond in a, in a way too. Yeah. There's also some interesting, interesting class stuff going on there. Um, like I mentioned in the story, the talk cuts across class, whether you're upper middle class kid, poor kid, middle class kid. Um, but Richmond noted something very interesting in that yeah. story is that he had a Morehouse sticker on his car, yep. which is one of the most prestigious uh, historically black colleges in the country. I mean, uh, Martin Luther King went there. And in yep. fact, the officer quotes Martin Luther King when he's talking to Richmond. But I wonder if that Morehouse sticker wasn't there, how that interaction would have gone, though. 
Let's uh, let's let's pivot to talking about Will Hurd. Uh, he is um, uh, is a Republican from Texas. Uh, he has decided to retire at the end of this term, but you know he's he's really he quickly kind of re- made himself a, a reputation as being somebody willing to work across the aisle. Mm-hmm. Um, he's uh, he's a former CIA undercover officer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he worked in the Middle East uh, among other uh, stations. He also owned his own business. Uh, and it's from the San Antonio area. Uh, let's listen to this clip uh, of of him talking about uh, being pulled over uh, with one of his white staffers. And I was with a staffer when uh, we're in far west Texas late at night. We're driving and, and we get pulled over. And I was like, hey, stop moving. Put your hands on the dash, right? Like, And they were kind of like, what, what, what? Like, they just acted like it was... You know, not a big deal. It was just a, a routine thing. So I had to talk through it with them and explain it. And then some of the folks on my staff was like, you do know how different that is from what many of us have, have experienced. What's notable about her um, is that he is the uh, only African-American Republican uh, uh, in the House, um, but he is retiring so um, he's he's definitely been a, a leader in speaking out about this issue um, within his party. But yeah, his background as a CIA, CIA officer is interesting because I talked to him about this for another story. And he said, you know, he's been in some, some sticky situations um, trying to gather intelligence in these, you know, massive mobs. And I think he was stationed in Pakistan, I believe. But even with that and all that danger, he's still his 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 instinct that that talk that he got as a child. I mean, it just never leaves. He's a grown man and he gets pulled over and he knows. All right. Hands on. Keep your hands visible. No sudden movements. And you he has this young white staffer who just was not <laughs> given the same instructions. And it's kind of just like, well, OK, um, what? Like nothing. Why would be we officer? afraid yeah, of the police? The officer is not. <laughs> He's, you know, he's here to help, you know, he's officer friendly. I'm sure that's been, you know, his, his interaction. I think it is slightly different for kids who, you know, grow up in urban or city areas. Like I certainly got to talk to be respectful to law enforcement, but your, your contact with police is a little bit different. I think in, in rural areas where there just actually aren't like a ton of police officers. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's, let's talk about Andre Carson now too. And mm-hmm. and like, this is a little bit longer clip, but it's so, it's so rich and it's so kind of touching to hear him talk about it because I mean, this is a guy who, um, you know, he, he talks very vividly about like th- what happened to him as, as a young man and then what, what came afterwards. So let's listen to that clip now. Yeah, it was, you know, uh, a mosque and another gentleman who was with me, we had an exchange with law enforcement, which wasn't unusual about um, kind of just them driving around looking at us. And then the exchange escalated and the law enforcement, the, the particular officer was like, get over here, you in. I'm like, this was the same year as Rodney King. So the nation had witnessed Rodney King. And for those of us who were used to being stopped randomly and harassed randomly, we're used to it. But to have Rodney King call on tape was a special moment. And to be called out of my name, then I said, whoa, it was, I mean, I I was only 17. So it was a mixture of fear and, you know, not, not allowing myself to be disrespected anymore in that moment. And so 
when I was when I was handcuffed, I was facing the charge of battery on a police officer resisting arrest and fleeing. And those charges were dropped. Obviously, they were. And at the time, um, there was a way you could pull up the police report. It's obviously sealed now because I was a juvenile and the laws have changed in Indiana. But even in the police report, the officer, the arresting officer talks about he made note of my manners, how I was courteous. And even considering my pleasantries that he even noted in his police report, I was still arrested and called out of my name. He noted that I was very respectful. And that came from having been given the talk at home. Uh, about being respectful to law enforcement, but also knowing as a black man, as a young black male, that I couldn't allow myself to be dehumanized even when you had a peace officer approach me and the exchange on my end was certainly respectful to still maintain the level of respect for authority, but not, not allow myself to be dehumanized in the process. I have a 13-year-old daughter. I had a recent talk with her the other day. She's gone to rallies with me and you know, because she's a young girl, I think my talk was, was still very honest, but probably a lot different than what I would have had, you know, if I had a son. And so my, my talk with her, and, and, you know, she's a different generation, so she has the Internet, you know, as opposed to hearing stories uh, from, from, from relatives or even friends. You now have these stories in real time, and not only do these stories go viral, but they're available for the global community to see and weigh in on. And so my commentary to her uh, is much different than what was given to me because she has a lot more access to information. We have the Internet for sure, but she's getting information kind of in real time. And in a way that my commentary hopefully will help to shape her perceptions about race. And I'm having to have a very convers uh, honest conversation about who she is as a black woman. And whenever I can call her smart, intelligent, beautiful, and clean, um, I say it so much, um, it probably gets on her nerves. But my hope is that me, me, me saying those things to her repeatedly, encouraging her intelligence, encouraging her beauty as a young black woman will help against societal pressures that may suggest otherwise. That fear is so visceral and to hear him talk about it and, you know, how he, he tries to counteract this, um, this kind of uh, negative narrative or stereotype about black Americans and him worrying about, um, that getting to his daughter. He's so concerned about it. He tries to reinforce these really positive messages to her. And, you know, I, I asked him, no, getting the talk and all that you went through as a kid, you know, did that make you feel less than, and, you know, he ruminated on it, on it for a little bit. And he was like, you know, it didn't because I had this, you know, this knowledge of self, you know, I, I knew my history and, and to be proud of it. And, um, so personally he, he pushed back against that narrative and he wanted to do the same or his daughter. There's just this breadth of experience and background and um, experiences of all three of these men. And yet it's so similar. I mean, it, it's like, it, it's almost like the, the, from a young age, this stuff stays with them. Um, and I, I don't, I mean, I know that you like 
as a writer, you like the story to be about your subjects, but I feel right. like, you know, I, I kind of want to bring this up with you too, because I mean, you mentioned you're from South Georgia, uh, you know, you're a, you're a black man, a uh, professional, a f- former congressional staffer, uh, and, and you've probably dealt with this as well. I have. Um, it was when I was a, a congressional staffer, I never really had any run-ins with law enforcement as a kid, but when I moved to DC and I was in my early twenties, I was driving in, you know, Navy yard before it's this, you know, great big developed area with, you know, Nats park and all these, you know, bars and soul cycles. And and maybe there's a Lulu living there too. I don't know. But I was (laughs) the, what what I like to call the great wall of fast casual, you know, with like Rasa and all those, uh, (laughs) all those like cheap, fast casual places. Yeah. Yeah, but before just, this, yeah, I was just on my way to get a hamburger, and you know, <laughs> I get pulled over by the cops who, and I remembered, you know, my instructions no sudden movements, hands on the wheel, listen very carefully to their directions. You know, they told me my, my, uh, my headlights were out, but I have daytime running lights, so that wasn't true. Um, I can't remember if I had my like my staff ID, like visible or whatever, because, you know, maybe that, you know, signals that I'm not a troublemaker, not that congressional staffers can't be up to no good. And then they got like a call about, you know, another vehicle, whatever, and just left me and told me to have a nice day. So, I mean, these kind of, you know, the, the pretext for these stops can be pretty thin sometimes, but, you know, I was driving a, a black Chevy Tahoe, black SUV in that neighborhood. So, you know, maybe I fit some kind of description of someone they were looking for. In your discussions with them on on tape and, and off too, did any of them, you know, whether it was Heard or Richmond or, or Carson, give you an idea of like, you know, this something is changing now, you know, with the George Floyd, you know, killing with the protests, like with, you know, the, with Congress considering legislation to reform police governments, do they, are they holding out hope or, or is this, you know, is this just kind of more of the same, you know, what they, what they kind of, what kind of vibe did they give you there? Yeah. So first I have to point out just how interesting it was that, I mean, to a man, they, they mentioned like the same, set of instructions and it's not like there is some you know great god book that is you know passed around that everybody you know cribs from but i just found it remarkable that they all said the same thing but they were all pretty optimistic about the chances now like um several of them noted that the protests this time seem to be more multiracial and multicultural which is a sign that it has moved into the mainstream. So there could be changes. Um, But that optimism was a a bit cautious because, you know, I I asked Carson, you know, are, is your daughter going to have to give this talk to her her children potentially? And he says, you know, if she doesn't, I certainly will. I will. So it's, it's kind of a hedged uh, optimism. Um, I think they think that it's moving in the in the right direction, but you know, uh, Richmond mentioned out of an abundance of caution, parents will probably still do this. So, I like that term, hedged optimism. Well, well, Clyde, uh, thank you so much for uh, for talking about this story. I, th- I think it's a really um, it's just a really great look uh, into what you know what it's like to be 
you know, kind of considering these public policies, you know, right now to what it's like to be, you know, to have this kind of experience, uh, particularly as, as a black man uh, in America right now. I, I just, I, I really appreciate it. I encourage people to read your story too uh, and, and check out the interviews on rollcall.com. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I just think it's so important that you understand the people who are coming to D.C. and bringing their entire life's experience into this lawmaking process so you, you, you understand better, you know, uh, where they're coming from. For sure. Thanks, man. Thanks, Jason. Political Theater is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is owned by Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company.